Well, this is the final week in our series, Death to Selfie, and it's really an important message that all of us have to embrace and continue to embrace as we go along our journey towards Christ. We have to embrace this idea that we have to give more of ourselves over to God and uh, not like focus so much on our own interest, focus on God's interest, God's world. Um, and so today we're going to wrap up the series, you know, just kind of talking about sacrifice, which is overall kind of the opposite of selfishness. And throughout scripture, we see time and time again, this picture of our life to really live the abundant life, the picture of sacrifice as opposed to selfishness. And of course, it's our temptation and it's our bent and it's our you know, kind of natural inclination to do what is in our own self-interest. But the scripture points us over and over again to live a life of sacrifice, giving towards others. So when we live kind of a selfie life, we are focused a lot on our own image. And we've talked about that a little bit over the last several weeks. Of course, if you're taking a literal selfie, you're very focused on your image and how you look. And what you, you know, how you present yourself. Um, uh, If we live in a selfie world, we're pretty worried about our own comfort. Uh, And that applies to lots of different things. You know, like our material possessions. Our, you know, not being kind of pushed or stretched to do things that are difficult. And we've talked about that quite a bit. Um, If we live in a selfie world, we're pretty worried about our own entertainment. Or our own enjoyment or our own desires instead of, you know, uh, things like discipline and following God and uh, self-control like we've talked about. And um, when we live in a selfie world, we're pretty focused on our own success. But really living in the sacrificial world, the things that we're focused on and the things that we really like key into are things like repentance. And saying sorry for what we've done, taking ownership and accountability. We're focused on things like worship, where we put God in his proper place. We're not worried about our own image. We're worried about uh, lifting up God's image. And we are willing to make these kinds of sacrifices and focus on God's kingdom. There's a Bible verse that uh, in Matthew chapter 21, or I'm... um, I'm sorry, Matthew 19, verse 29, and it says this. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or uh, father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. It's all about this sacrifice and different picture of what our life should be about. And true followers of Christ understand this and embrace it, even though it is counterintuitive and difficult. True followers of Christ embrace the life that Jesus modeled when he came to earth and sacrificially gave up himself for others. And as the scripture says, The people who sacrificially give and sacrificially leave behind of my own interest, my selfishness, for what God wants will be rewarded in this life and in the life to come a hundred times over and inherit eternal life. So it's a big deal. Uh, But we know that it is a struggle. 
Here's what, here's kind of specifically what I want to, how I want to wrap up this series today is kind of by this statement and we'll, we'll just unpack it, is that certain belief necessitates sacrificial actions, okay? Certain belief necessitates sacrificial actions. Um, faith in God has some serious consequences for our life. Saying I'm a follower of Christ, it has serious consequences for how we order ourselves and how we live. Um, And so I want to focus in on that. Certain belief necessitates sacrificial actions um, and uh, necessitates that we are not making selfish actions or selfish decisions with our life. Uh, Hebrews 11, and that's where we're going to focus a little bit uh, in today because it kind of sums up this idea of sacrificial living within the context of our beliefs. Um, It says this in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And so this is kind of how uh, this passage explains it, is that... We really have a great legacy and history of people all throughout Scripture that were guided by a belief in something more, and it changed the way that they lived in a very dramatic way. They ran away from selfish actions, and they did things that were kind of unthinkable and unbelievable, um, but were perfectly understandable under the context of, I believe in something bigger. Certain belief necessitates sacrificial actions. You know, belief in something allows us to do some pretty amazing things. It does. Belief allows us to do incredible things that people, you know, even of other generations would think were crazy. Um, Every day, I get in a machine... Not necessarily every day. Almost every day. I get in a machine, and sometimes I will strap myself into a machine and drive in excess of 75 miles an hour down the street, uh, you know, trusting that this machine will be safe. I mean, can you imagine the faith that we put in, in our cars? Like, this is a pretty dangerous endeavor to propel ourselves at this kind of speed with, you know, a machine like this. But we believe, and over time, we, we've trusted that this machine will be safe, and there's safety measures that we've put in place. And so we are willing to believe in this and do pretty spectacular and amazing things. I thought about an experience I had. Uh, several years ago, um, in how I put my faith in something that maybe I shouldn't have put my faith in. Anybody here like to go to amusement parks? Anyone? Okay. Anybody like to ride the roller coasters? All right, used to. All right, all right. Um, I'm kind of in the used to category as well. I am like uh, definitely uh, used to used to be a thrill seeker and all these different things. Now it's kind of like I'll do it if my kids want to do it and I'll pretend like I like it just so that they don't think I'm a wimp. But um, uh, my son is in here this morning. Uh, I'm giving away secrets, but that's okay. But uh, my wife is 
uh, doesn't have as much pride as I do, so she's like, no way, I'm not going. Dad's go, Dad will go with you. Um, and we recently went on uh, to an amusement park. But I remember um, one, of the, one of the things that is just kind of completely crazy that I've participated in multiple times in my life is going on a ride in, at Elitch's, anybody been to Elitch's, called the Tower of Doom. Okay? Has anybody heard of this right? Okay? Here's how it goes. Is it takes you up 200 feet. And 200 feet doesn't sound like that big of a deal here. But 200 feet when you're on 200 feet, is it's 200 feet. It, it's, a, it's a long ways up. But it takes you up 200 feet straight up. And then it just releases you. And you free fall for about four seconds. Until right at the end it hits a little breaks and you stop. Right below, okay? I mean, this is, first of all, I'm scared of heights, okay? I'm scared of heights, and um, there's a reason I'm scared of heights, because I believe in gravity, okay? So, like, this is a pretty rational fear, but I remember as, like, kind of a young teenager, somewhere around my son's age here, going with a group of friends to Elitch Gardens, and everybody's saying, Tower of Doom, Tower of Doom, you know? And I'm like, did you hear the name of this thing? Tower of Doom. This is something we may want to avoid. But instead, it's like, you know, us, you know, tough kids were like, yeah, we can all handle the Tower of Doom. No problem. I won't even, like, I won't even uh, scream or anything like that. Tower of Doom. And so you, you, you go in this line, and I'm sitting there. I'm terrified of heights like, you know, six feet in the air. And I'm looking in this line of this giant thing going up. And all these brave people, like when they get on it, they're like, oh, yeah. And, and you see it go up and it comes down and you hear, ah, ah, and you see their face when they're down and they're like, ah, you know, and they're like completely terrified. Why would we put ourselves humanly through the Tower of Doom willfully? And you know what? Not only that, we pay ridiculous amounts of money to put ourselves through Towers of Doom and people wait in line hour after hour to experience, like, putting themselves in this dangerous doom situation. And so, you know, I remember, multi- I remember standing in line that first time, the Tower of Doom, and, like, finally the line kind of getting shorter and shorter, watching everybody scream and everybody coming off saying, whoa, that's the fastest ride out, you know, all this different stuff. And me having the belief even though in my gut I was terrified, having the belief at that moment, intellectually, I'm going to be okay. Because, you know, really, and, and you can rationally think about this. For 20 years, the Tower of Doom has been in existence. And for 20 years, people have lined up and gone up. And then come back down, and another group has done it over and over and over. And the Tower of Doom, no one has ever died on the Tower of Doom. And so I know that intellectually and enough to be able to get on the ride and get on it, you know, and, and sit down and be strapped, strapped on it. And you get up, and it just goes higher and higher and higher. And you're sitting there, and your feet are just dangling, and you can see everything, like, across, like, five states and, and you're on the top. And what they do when you get right under the top is it just kind of pauses up there. And you're like, when's it going to fall? Because this is like, at this moment in time in your life, it's like the worst moment that you've experienced in your entire life. You're like, 
That's the worst moment before it falls. And then you hear this little click. It goes click. And it just releases you to free fall. And you're able to scream for about one millisecond. You go, ah! And then your breath like kind of gets taken away. And you're and then it's over, and you move on, and then the rest of the day, uh, you brag to your friends about, I conquered the Tower of Doom. It's not scary at all to me. I can handle it. But this is, this is an experience. This is something that people put themselves through over and over. And, you know, the reality is, is it's really based on a belief. It's based on a belief that I will be okay. That at the end of the ride, even if in the middle of the ride, my stomach is churning, even when I'm waiting in line for the ride, I'm terrified, all of these things, I believe at the end of it, I'll be okay. And I believe at the end of it, I would rather go through that than like sit down below and watch everybody else do it and me not participate. This is, this is a picture of incredible faith. And you have to understand that that's something that, that, that we have to grasp when we're talking about walking in a way and dying to self and following God. Is we have to embrace the fact that, you know, faith is difficult sometimes. It's sacrificial sometimes. But what the verses say here in, in Hebrews is it says, I'm certain. I'm certain of things that I can't see. I'm certain of it. I'm certain that at the end of that ride, when I get down to the bottom, I will be okay. Let's fully flesh out that analogy. And, you know, we can, if we're people of faith, say, no matter what I go through in this time, in this place, and in this life, I'm certain that at the end of it, I will be okay. I'm certain that at the end of it, I will stand before my creator, my God, and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. Come into my kingdom. That I can be certain that at the end of that ride, the end of it, it's going to be fine. But the reality is, and every one of us understand this, and this is why we struggle through this and we have to remind each other of this, is that when you're on the ride, it is terrifying, right? And our stomachs turn, and there's moments of fear, and there's moments of difficulty, and there's moments of struggle. And, but we still put ourselves out there in faith. And so a true kind of test for where we are in our belief is how willing we are to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. Are we willing and open to put ourselves in a situation that is hard, difficult, challenging, and even risky because we believe God is in control? So um, I want to continue on, and this is probably familiar portions of scripture. You know, I have... uh, uh, it's some of my favorites. I've made mention of these verses before, but I haven't, you know, I want to focus in on this a little bit because it gives us really um, uh, like a picture of generation upon generation dealing with and struggling with this very thing that all of us deal with is, you know, trying to overcome these selfish uh, things that we want to we want to pursue. It says in verse four, after it says, 
by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. We believe God is in control of all of it. By faith we believe that. Here's a list of people that had to go through the same thing that we have to go through. It says in verse 4, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. So uh, Abel, early in Scripture, is someone that chose obedience as his act of faith. And what he did was when God asked them to make sacrifice for the atonement of their sins, he was willing to follow through with God's instructions clearly, even though it doesn't make 100% perfect sense all the time what God is doing. You understand, this is, this is like the first couple of chapters in the Bible, and God commands them to make a sacrifice of an animal to represent the, you know, just the shedding of blood as a consequence of the sin that is taking place. It was going to take thousands of years later for it to fully come uh, in focus what God was doing. He was demonstrating and showing us that one day... God, that, that Jesus would come to earth and be a sacrifice for our sins and pay his blood on our behalf so we would know that the God of the universe loves us so much he will give up his life for us. An outrageous demonstration of love that is the foundation of our faith. Abel, thousands of years before Christ, had to just say, God, I don't know why we're doing this, but I obey. And he did. It was by faith. And he said, I am willing, I have certain belief in that if God tells me to do something, I will take sacrificial actions. And he did literally take sacrificial actions and sacrificed uh, and obeyed what God commanded. Sacrificial actions or certain belief necessitates sacrificial actions. Continues in verse 5. Um, it says, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. A unique story in scripture, but he is a picture here in uh, this chapter of someone who over and over throughout his entire life walked with God and was in fellowship with God. And he believed every day. And in a world where, you know, everyone else around you is focused on so many other things, he was the type of person that we, we don't have big stories about him in scripture, but we know enough. He was someone that uniquely walked with God and followed God's lead and was in step with what God wanted and um, is a picture of faithfulness. And it says, you cannot please God without this kind of certain belief, this kind of faith, this belief in what you are doing. And he uh, is an example for us of someone who just kind of was on this earth, living in this world, but was not of this world, was not selfish in any regard, was focused on what was more important, focused on his eternal um, reward instead of his earthly one. Verse 7 says this, By faith Noah, when he 
when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah does an outrageous thing in following God, in you know, spending years and years of his life saying, I will build this ark that God called me to build. And there's so many pictures there that like now we can grasp better that, that, that God is calling him and showing him that, you know what, it is only through my salvation that everyone else, that, that we're not wiped out and destroyed by sin. And they get on this ark and they get, uh, and the floodwaters come and their family is saved and really civilization is saved because of his faithfulness. And then later in scripture, it talks about how, look, now we are saved by the cross. And we are saved by baptism, just like Noah and his family was saved by their faithfulness. He was faithful when everyone else around him was not. When everyone else around him was wicked and not doing the right thing. He was willing to take this kind of sacrificial actions to follow God. Verse 8 says this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would, he would later receive an inher- uh, at his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with uh, him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So Abraham leaves his family's household, um, kind of like reminds us of the Bible verse I read at the beginning in Matthew, where it says anyone who leaves uh, or sacrifices things will be rewarded. He does this. He leaves his family's household and goes to, to follow God. And uh, like it becomes the father of the nation of Israel and um, whose city with the foundations um, with, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. He was willing to do something risky, difficult, challenging, sacrificial in order to follow God. Uh, verses 20 and 22. Uh, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Verse 22. By faith, Joseph... When his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. All of these things, these generations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all of them had to go through these tests and difficulties and struggles where they said, is my belief going to mean something or is it just, you know, kind of in my head? Am I willing to sacrifice, give up, and do something challenging in order to follow through with what God is calling me to do? Uh, verse 23, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Um, And by faith, Moses, when he grew up, refused to be known as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. What a wonderful verse. 
He said, I will not uh, choose the pleasures of sin for a moment. Instead, by faith, I, I know that I have to do something different. I will not like sit by and watch the whole nation of Israel be persecuted and all these things. I have to do something and respond to God and follow what God wants me to do. And we, uh, we, we uh, know about Moses' story. We talked about it this summer. Um, how God miraculously saved the nation of Israel because he was willing to respond by faith. Uh, verse 31 says this, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And so even a story in here, and this is, this is the beauty of the scriptures, it says it's kind of given us the picture of all of these different people. And and included in the scripture, included in this list, is a woman who was a prostitute, but in that moment had a moment of faith where she uh, was willing to help out the nation of Israel, and her life was spared when the walls of Jericho came down. I know I'm going through these stories quickly, but um, I just want you to kind of get the picture that it's trying to paint um, in this chapter. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets through whom faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Okay? So it's saying over and over, this is what happened. And this is the story that the scripture tells us. Generation after generation after generation of people making a decision that I believe in something bigger than myself. And that belief necessitates that I take sacrificial action and set aside my wants, desires, and wishes and follow something bigger and better. Generation upon generation upon generation. And we all must face this test. Selfishness or sacrifice. Being willing to you know, focus on my own comfort, my entertainment, my success, or follow something greater. You know, this past month has been quite an interesting month for my family. Um, you know, I'm, I'm typically a busy person and we got lots of things going on. But this month in particular... Uh, was was a challenging one. Um, you know, we uh, many of you know, like three weeks ago, my grandfather passed away. And so whenever something like that happens, it's like you stop everything and you make arrangements and you drive off and you go and you take care of whatever you have to take care of and you, you, you just kind of leave everything behind. And so we, you know, we dropped everything, got off work, drove uh, 20 plus hours round trip to be there um, to, you know, for my grandfather's funeral. And uh, then this past week, it was almost like a weird deja vu moment. Uh, we found out that Elisa's grandmother had passed away and we did the same thing. And we stopped everything and we canceled all of our stuff and we drove another 20 hour round trip down to Oklahoma this time. And we're down there with them uh, this week. And so what, his, uh, what I've been doing a lot of is, first of all, a lot of stinking driving. And then um, I've been doing a lot of reflecting just kind of on the big picture of life. And doing a lot of reflecting on kind of, kind of um, uh, the end of life. 
Of course, as you do when you're at funerals and as you, you know, kind of think about heritage and legacy and all of these different things. And it was, uh, you know, something that was that was quite moving and something meaningful and something that I always carry with me when we were, you know, at our grandfa- uh, my grandfather's funeral that, you know, we were reflecting in multiple people time after time were saying the same story about how he had said the last few years of his life. It's okay, my time is coming to the end, I'm ready to see God. And how amazing that is. That he was like so certain of his faith, so certain that everything was okay, and so at peace with God, that he was like willing and able to just articulate that and share it with us. And it brought us so much peace and comfort in that moment as we were celebrating his life and thinking about his funeral. Um, And uh, as I was thinking about my own life. That he was so certain of his belief that it was okay. And even something as scary as death was, you know, he was at peace with that. This last um, weekend, uh, my wife's grandmother, who, you know, uh, Elisa grew up with, but I wasn't as close as my grandfather, of course. um, uh, Got an opportunity to hear a few stories from from her life that I didn't know anything about. Um, Her husband was a police officer. And... Uh, occasionally, at, towards the end of his shift, he would encounter people that were uh, intoxicated and just needed like a little bit of time, probably in that day and age, where they would just sober up and release them the next morning. They told a story about how he would regularly bring people who were intoxicated home with him at the end of his shift and tell them to sleep on his couch in his house. And then um, his wife... Uh, Elisa's grandmother in the morning would wake up and see him and know exactly what had happened and make him breakfast and uh, serve him breakfast that morning and say, okay, now go along with your uh, life and, you know, be good and and, do all these things. And I was like, what an amazing story. And I'd never heard any of these stories before, but what an incredible um, story thinking about like these, uh, these people's lives. And, and so There is incredible solace as we're reflecting and laughing and all these different things and uh, crying and just just knowing certain belief, knowing exactly what is important and what is not important. It was interesting. It was a Catholic funeral, and the priest was... um, the priest was African. I'm not sure where he exactly, what country he was from, but he was African. And um, he was, I, I loved his sermon because he was direct and clear. And he, he preached about at the funeral. He was like, you know, if uh, you know Jesus, at the end of your life, you'll be comforted. And if not, uh, uh, you will not be comforted. And you have to face the fact that you could face hell at the end of your life. And that's what he said. I was like, this guy is great. I love, he was direct, and the funeral was like that. And he's like, he went, we know Rosanna was uh, believed in, in God, and she's okay. How about you? I was like, whoa, this funeral service. I almost came up and, like, said a Catholic prayer and, and like, uh, did that. But, but it, was, it was incredible in that moment. And I was even looking around that room and thinking and reflecting and thinking, Man, if in this moment in time I'm facing and thinking about death and I'm looking at the relatives in my life that I, like their life is over and it's all said and done. If there is uncertainty 
about that. How terrifying that must be. And how paralyzing that must be. And, and what an incredible thing to be able to like stand in that moment and say, there's something I believe for certain. And there's something that I know for certain. That there's certainty um, of what my life is about. And you know what? It is important for us, the people who are living, not just when we go to funerals or not when we're just reflecting at the end of our life. It's important for us who are living and who are healthy to like start thinking about, you know, what does my life really mean? What is it about? What are the things that I'm certain of? What are the things that I know are like at the core of my being? Because unfortunately, I think in this life, it's all too infrequent that we think about these things in kind of our day-to-day existence. But at the end of life, when we're summing up somebody's life, and we're kind of thinking about the legacy and the end of their life, and we're looking at faith and we're finding comfort in faith, it's something that at the end of your life and at a funeral, it's heavy and everybody gets it. And it's emotional and it's impactful. And that all makes sense. But unfortunately, it just kind of, sometimes it fades away. I want you to think about these stories of these people. And now generation after generation after generation, they had to say, do I believe what I profess? Does my life match up? With my belief statement. Do my actions reflect that? And if they do, that means it necessitates sacrificial action. It necessitates me doing things that other people aren't willing to do. Because I believe. I believe. I have faith. In our world, we will always be pushed and be tempted and drift towards selfishness. We will drift towards like whatever is easiest, whatever like is like the most immediate, whatever will build up our own success or will, will entertain us the most. But people of faith live in a different world and a different mindset. People who really embrace it say, I live kind of a, of a different world. I have different things that I do with my time. So what I want you to, uh, as we wrap up this series, this is going to be something that is a continual struggle for all of us. Will I live for myself? Will I do things for myself? Or is my belief something that is so strong that I am willing to do something that is sacrificial, that is different? Live my life in a different way. It's a decision that each of us have to make, and it's something that we have to struggle with and deal with all of our life. But as I reflect back to some of my experiences and some of the times where I was terrified, some of the times where I was exhausted and tired, this last couple of weeks comes to mind where I'm like, oh my goodness, there's so much going on. When I look back and reflect on all of these things in my life, I just, I just 
come to the conclusion that I want to get on that ride, the ride that God is, uh, this world that God has made. I will get on that ride. I will conquer my fear. I will, like, stand in that line, get on the Tower of Doom, so to speak. And even if sometimes I'm uneasy, sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's hard to overcome these fears and those things, I don't want to be someone at the end of my life that just can only reflect on what other people did. Other sacrifices that other people did. Only standing kind of beside the the ride and watching other people taking a risk and doing something for God. I want to be the type of person that says, I conquered and overcame the fears that I had. And I said, I'm going to do something because I believe God is in control. Sometimes that means I make decisions financially that are different than what everybody else would do. I make decisions about my time differently than other people would uh, make. I, I make decisions about how I raise my family different than other people make. I live a life that is different. Because I believe in the end, there's, God is in control. And my, my belief necessitates these kind of actions. And I'm willing to do that. I invite you to pray with me. God, I thank you for these reminders. It's a challenge for all of us to remember that we're called to live lives that are sacrificial sometimes. And God, there's so many times I just, um, I kind of just follow down the path of self-indulgence. Instead of being willing to follow you. God, I pray right now in this moment that you'd bring to mind areas in our life where we know that we're, we act selfishly. We focus on things that are temporary. We focus on things that, that at the end of our life won't mean a lot. Help us to trust that you are in control of it all. So God, I think about all the people who came before me and sacrificed a lot. who gave of themselves, who helped others, who formed churches, who stepped out in faith and did amazingly sacrificial and difficult things. God, we thank you for their lives that came before us. And God, now that it's our time, that we are, we are the ones at this time and place that are called to do the same thing. God, give us the courage to live lives that are different. So God, I pray that when we're tempted to 
just follow down the path of least resistance, to, to fall into our temptations. God, help us to realize something else. God, when we make decisions about our family and our church or any of those things, God, help us to remember what we believe. So right now, I just invite you just to take a moment to uh, reflect yourself. We've talked a lot about death in the last month. And it's appropriate we do so. We think about the things in our life that we need to put to death. And we think about the end of our life. We think about the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. We think about what this is all about. And I invite you just to pray and seek God and say, God, open up my heart, open up my life to just let go of the things that I'm trying to control and follow you 100%. Cry out to God right now and be open to what God, how God speaks to you.